Matthew 27, verses 45 to 54. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried again, and with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. I've just asked the Lord to just bless us uh, this morning first, because although I hope you get this from what I'm going to speak about, it's about God. It's about Jesus. I know quite a few years ago, there was a song, it's all about Jesus, but it seemed to become a theme that people were going to church and being told it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And it really is about Jesus. It's not about us. We're part of his greater story, God's greater story. And that's what the Bible is. So I'll just ask Heavenly Father that you will put your words into my mouth, Lord. Whatever you want to say, Lord, even if it's not with with words, perhaps it's just your Holy Spirit moving on people this morning. Move on myself, Lord. Work on me. Lord, we're all works in progress, Lord. And I pray, Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, that I can bring you honour and glory this morning and that you can enable us to just go a little deeper into understanding your word and your gospel truth this morning. Amen. I'm going to speak on... Um, oh, I can look at it there. Competing spectacles. Uh, it's a complete uh, admission straight away that this is from a book called Competing Spectacles by a guy called Tony Reinke. Um, I read it about six months ago, nine months ago, and it just really, really spoke to me. I know every book I read, I say it's the best book I've ever read. Uh, I'm an avid reader. I do love reading um, quite difficult, uh, quite deeply theological books and perhaps philosophical books. That's just the way I am. I'm not a clever person by any stretch of the imagination, but I like that discipline, that 
thing. It makes you want to look at the reasons why. I read a, a book a long, long time ago by a guy called Jostein Garner called Sophie's World. And it was a, a story within a story. And this guy who was a soldier, I think he was Danish or Swedish soldier in Bosnia, and he wanted to give his daughter a 16th birthday present. And he thought, what better could I give her than an idea of a search for knowledge? So he gave her a compilation, a small, compacted version of Western philosophy. And it ended up Sophie's World. And it was a bestseller. They made a, a TV program about it. And trust me, it was brilliant. We need to go a little deeper uh, than we, we do do. As human beings, we don't search things out. We, we come complacent and happy in, in where we are in our position. And that's sometimes not a good thing. We need to stretch our imaginations. And I hope to stretch your imagination this morning because God's given you an imagination. He's given you a desire for spectacle. He's put it in your heart. Why is it when we see a vista, a mountain vista, that we, um, we, we, we are awe, we're in awe? Because God's put that in us. It's a part of being a human being. Before I go massively off track, I'll try and keep to these slides uh, if I'm doing this right. Spectacle. I thought we'd, uh, first of all, I'm talking about, and it's not these spectacles, although they are spectacles and quite a few are, are wearers of spectacles. This isn't the spectacle I'm talking about. It's this. Visually striking performance or display. An event or scene regarded in terms of visual impact. I've forgotten, I've got some notes here. So I, don't, I can actually speak into this and not have to look at that. A moment of time of varying length in, length in which collective gaze is fixed on some specific image, event or moment. A spectacle is something, something that captures human attention. An instant when our eyes and our brains focus and fixate on something projected to us. That's pretty specific. And that's exactly what a spectacle is. And I want to discuss this morning, and it will, it will be quite short, um, the competing spectacles. We, we're not perhaps aware, but we, we are forever being bombarded by spectacles. The world does that. The media does that. People, commerce does that. People who want to sell something, show you something. It's worth billions and billions of pounds the industry. That's how important it is. They want your attention. They want to wow you, give you that wow factor. TV, sadly, is full of programs like that. And I'm not here to, to decry TV. I, I'm probably watch too much TV, too many films. I am a little bit obsessed with certain things, uh, certain spectacles. Uh, but trust me, uh, there is a I think an intelligence behind that, that perhaps isn't to our good. And I hope this morning to just make you aware of what spectacles you're looking at. And give you an option, a really good option. Spectacle, who, who recognises that? Shouldn't be too hard. 
those bronze dudes on top uh, will give you a clue. It's a Roman spectacle. I don't know exactly where it's from. It doesn't look like the Circus Maximus. Uh, it doesn't look like the Colosseum. But it, nevertheless, it, it is a Roman spectacle. The Romans were brilliant at creating spectacles. The Bible mentions a lot about spectacle. Um, the Romans knew what they were doing. Have you ever heard the term bread and circuses? Anybody ever heard that term? Robert? Social engineering, basically. That's what it is. And if you think this time, our culture now, doesn't do bread and circuses, think again. They do. Trust me, they do. To stop the plebiscite um, rampaging and rioting... uh, and kicking off because of lack of food, because of poor sanitary conditions, whatever. They would be moaning about something. The poor people in Rome, the the governors, the, the bosses, the Caesars decided, give them bread every so often. In fact, not every so often, lots. We'll have lots of these gladiatorial games, Circus Maximus. Uh, we'll have that and we'll entertain the people and give them bread bread and circuses, to keep them subdued, to keep them reasonably happy, not thinking too deeply. We don't want them to think too deeply. We want them to be entertained with superficial, violent, sexual, perverted spectacle. And that's what the Roman games were. They weren't nice. They were vile. They were horrible. They wouldn't be shown today. But we do show things on TV and in films that are nearly as bad. And we don't, we don't get it. We're, we're perhaps hardened to it a little bit. I know I am. I like Nordic noir. I love it. But it's really violent. It's about evil people. But I just, I'm entertained by Nordic noir. It's a, a Scandinavian genre of uh, detective films and spy films and things like that. Um, usually done by the Swedes, the Danes, Norwegians. But they're very good at it. And I happen to like it. But perhaps I shouldn't like it as much. Perhaps I should concentrate on good things, nicer things. I've already asked Mike. Uh, I actually didn't understand that at all when I first saw it. Another, it's a spectacle. Does anybody understand? See what it is. Can they have a guess of what it is? It's football, yeah. World Cup, yeah. Which one? 2018, I think. Russia. If there was one, I don't get it. I don't really football leaves me. But Robbie Williams apparently sang. I think that might be Robbie Williams right in the middle, singing. And apparently he was quite rude to Putin or somebody. He gave them two fingers, and it became very um, a, a big thing in the newspapers. But again, what what is going on there is a spectacle. People are being they're having their eyes feasted on spectacle. Guess what that one is? Sorry? Yeah, yeah, the Olympics. Which one? Uh, I don't know. Beijing. When was the Beijing Olympics? Uh, whatever. But that, that's the Beijing. It's a, They're not very, they're a bit grainy. You can't quite pick out the detail. But there are thousands, tens of thousands of people there. And it was quite a spectacle. I remember seeing it. Now, did you watch the Olymp, uh, sorry, the, our Olympic 
opening ceremony. Now, I don't know why, but I found that distasteful. I didn't like it. There was something about it. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I watched it. I thought, ooh, it's a bit creepy, that. And I actually got a feeling that they were making us into gods. They were almost worshipping the people, our achievements. And that's, we've got to be very careful, you know, our celebrities and who we really adore and how far we let that go. And I thought our Olympic ceremony was a little bit like that. But that's only me. I've not heard other people really criticise it. And I might be super sensitive because I'm known to be a super sensitive character. I'm, no, Janice is laughing. I'm pulling a face. I'm not sensitive, really. So if it got me like that, perhaps it got you as well. Augustine, I've just finished, well, in fact, I've read it a couple of times, a a book, Confessions by Augustine. And he says he was carried off by theatrical shows. Augustine was a bit of a lad in his early days in Carthage. Um, he, he, He was a bit of a player, a playboy as such. He wasn't always this Saint Augustine of Hippo. Um, and he had a real struggle. He had a Christian mother. But he, when he went to be taught, um, as most guys of his, um, from his background at that time, um, they went to certain schools. So they would they'd go to the Greek schools and perhaps some Roman schools. So he, he would learn about... Um, uh, Aristotle and Plato and things like that and they were taught in rhetoric and speaking and uh, but he was drawn away by the spectacle of the games have you seen that um, in Carthage they abounded the theatre the Odeon wow I didn't know that but that's where the word comes from. When we go to the Odeon Cinema, probably there aren't any anymore. I don't know whether there are. I remember a big Odeon in Blackpool I used to go to. I mean, to concerts there as well. But uh, And the circus. When Julie um, showed those, um, the, the clips of the clowns, that comes from Circus Maximus. That was one of the biggest events in, in like world history. It was huge. And the amount of money that some of those charioteers would get were, were, were like footballers are today. Gladiators were they, were, were the heroes of the day. They were the celebrities of the day. It was all to do with image. Um, what it looked like. They wanted to wow you, make it big. They were a big part of Roman life. Surely everyone recognises this one. Yeah, what a film. I mean, I really, really like that. I very rarely watch films twice, but I watched that twice. I just thought Russell Crowe was just so cool. Uh, it was just brilliant. Uh, they were very stereotypical, all the characters. The Caesar was awful, wasn't he? He was wicked, but Russell Crowe was a real good uh, good guy. Uh, but again, it's all... Um, that was a, filmed in the Colosseum. They did a lot of CGI to get you to understand what the Colosseum was really like, how huge it was. It was a big deal. And this is how people were entertained in the time of Jesus and after Jesus. The apostles had to put up with this. The apostles knew. Paul knew all what was going on. They weren't blind to these things. They weren't blind to the fact uh, of what society, culture was doing to them. 
It wasn't healthy, it wasn't good. This is a quote direct from Tony Ranke's book. Into the spectacle-loving world, with all of its spectacle-makers and spectacle-making industries, came the grandest spectacle ever devised in the mind of God and brought about in world history, the cross of Christ. It is the hinge of history, the point of contact between BC and AD, where all time collides, where all human spectacles meet. One unsurpassed, cosmic, divine spectacle. I hope I can get that through to you guys this morning, that that's what we should be looking at. We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's where we're going. That's what we should be doing. Not to say that we can't look at other things, that they're not legitimate, but they're perhaps not not all, not everything. We shouldn't get too wrapped up. Colossians 1, 15, 18, this is from the message. Sorry, Marilyn, I'm a, Marilyn is not a big message fan, but I think this was just so lovely. The language is so, it just fits so perfectly. We look at this sun and see, uh, we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible, invisible, rank after rank, After rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organises and holds it together like the head does the body. Colossians 2.15 from the NASB. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display, a spectacle of them, having triumphed over them through him. That's what Jesus did. He was, the, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. Hallelujah. Jesus led a resurrection parade. Hallelujah. He is supreme in the end. From the beginning to the end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. Hallelujah. All because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. That's a spectacle. Trust me. We may not see it with the human eye. That ocular activity, quite the same as we can see the Beijing Olympics or or a massive football match. But it's a vision that we should fill our minds and our hearts, like Julie very kindly said. There were so many things in what she was doing there with the children that fit so perfectly with what I wanted to say this morning. It's what we see. It's where our heart is. Where's your heart this morning? You'll find it's what what you think about most, what you do more than anything, what, what obsesses you. 
It's where your heart is. So don't kid yourself. If it isn't Jesus, it's something else. Another quote by Tony Ranke. Christ's glory is the spectacle of all other spectacles. It's the power most cleanly seen in how it, and its power is most clearly seen in how it equips, motivates and animates our faithful obedience in all other areas of life. It is disastrous to disconnect the glorious Christology at the beginning of Colossians for Paul later commands, uh, latter commands for living out the Christian life at home and at work. We should be living this out. It's not just to see. The Bible isn't just there for you to read and forget or read and just read. It's there to live it out. Every thought, every affection, desire and habit of our lives is radiated with Christ-likeness as we snap back to the spectacle of Christ's glory, the central power plant of Christian sanctification. You want to be sanctified this morning? Allow God to do it. Allow him to do it when we break bread. See what you're doing. Feel what you're doing. You're doing something that will never, ever stop being celebrated. When this world doesn't exist, the cross, the sacrifice of God himself will be there. As a vision, I don't know. Think of some of the the prophetic visions. Think of Ezekiel and Daniel. Wow. They they saw things that they couldn't understand. That's why when we read them, we went, what's that about? Wheels within wheels and going enough in weird directions. They're seeing things that they do not get because God has given them a glimpse of eternity. And that's what we want to be looking towards, eternity. God has put eternity in our hearts. It was really difficult to get images, what I wanted, the images of the cross. And I'm almost glad, because I don't want to be gratuitous. When I watched The Passion of Christ, the Mel Gibson film, I wouldn't watch it for quite a long time, because I thought it was gratuitous. In my own pious, strange, little, self-righteous way, I thought, oh, I'm not watching that, it's awful, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched it, and it broke me. I wept. I wept and wept. Because it's the only image I've ever seen with my eye that was anything like what the true crucifixion would be like. It was a spectacle, all right. It was a brutal spectacle. That the devil was jumping up and down with glee because he thought he'd won. But he hadn't. He couldn't see the big picture. He couldn't see what Jesus did. He defeated death. This just blew me away, this quote. This guy, I, I recommend uh, Competing Spectacles. It's only a small book, but I highly recommend it. All the dampened glory of Moses and the old covenant was exceeded by the splendor of Christ. Like the sparkling light of galactic stars made invisible when the sun shines, the glory of the old covenant paled into comparison to the radiance of the sun. S-O-N, hallelujah. And if Christ occasionally transfigured his glory before the eyes of the apostles, it was a mere foretaste of his full manifested glory for eternal display. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't know why I even bother speaking. How could I possibly do that justice? That guy, that's from God. That vision, that writing is the Holy Spirit. That is God speaking deep into our hearts, deep into our very selves, our souls, our spirits, our everything. It's mind-blowing. Ah, I thought, that's wrong. I've 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 made all these clips on Chromebook and sent them to Julie and then Marilyn's had a look and I've put a few things um, out of order. I think it's only this one. Um, A spectacle. I said at the very beginning of what I was saying, a spectacle, that is a spectacle. But that's not a bad spectacle. That's a pretty good spectacle. (laughs) And that, God made it. God made that view. And God made us to be awed and and wowed by it. It it, it is beauty. I know they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I beg, I I just cannot get it if somebody said that isn't beautiful. That is beautiful. And it's God's. It's God's creation. He created it. I mean, we'll mess it up a little bit. Probably, uh, we have done it. Probably wasn't like that 10,000 years ago whenever. I don't know. But it's pretty spectacular. And I just wanted to draw back again to what spectacle can be. It can be lovely. Or it can be... And I'm not saying... I'm not anti-football. Well, I am, I suppose. Anti-football. Um, but those types of things. When people enjoy themselves, hallelujah. Legit, good, good stuff. Um, but it isn't everything. And it can be marred by pride and arrogance. Which I did. I thought the... Um, the uh, our bid, our Olympic opening was a little bit like that. I just thought it was distasteful. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I will set no worthless worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. One of the Psalms. Don't know whether David wrote that or... But uh, good advice. 11937... Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. That's my prayer this morning. That was my, been my prayer for a while. I haven't weaned myself off TV yet, and I think I do need weaning. I feel like a drug addict is weaned off heroin or, or whatever. But I do believe I'm starting to do it. I'm starting to see again just the damage it can do. Watching innocuous things isn't good. And certain things I watch are, I'm shamed. I shouldn't watch them. But they, there's something in me that wants to watch them. And it's kind of not right. A minute. I, I really won't keep you long. And I don't want to get to the last um, slide because I'm leading communion as well. And um, it does obviously fit in. That's why I wanted to, Julie to read the reading from Matthew. It's, that was what, what, what we're looking at this morning. What we should be looking at this morning is, is the Lord on the cross. It's Christ crucified. Paul said, I want to know nothing else than Christ crucified. It's a strange thing to say, but no, it's not a strange thing to say. It's absolutely bang on. It's bang on the money, as they say. Because if we aren't putting Christ crucified, at the front and centre of everything we are and do, then we're failing somehow. We're forgetting the point, the pivotal point of all history was when Jesus defeated sin. 
We're still in a sinful world. We're still in sinful bodies. We will fail time and time again, but Jesus forgives us. But something happened at that time, 2,000 years ago, at Calvary. Something utterly amazing happened. All the crowds, this is from the uh, Luke 23:48 from the uh, CSB, my Bible. All the crowds that gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home striking their chests. There's a guy called Neil Postman who wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's another good read. And that's what we're doing. We're amusing ourselves to death. It's serious stuff. I've written two things here. If time permits, read that. I won't. It's two more quotes out of this. But I may read one. One bit of scripture. You can't go wrong with plenty of scripture. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. And he did. One, four, eight. Consolidate every display of beauty in this world into one single object. And it would be the greatest spectacle on earth. And yet it would be merely a faint echo of what it means to behold the source of all the beauty. The living God, the great, the beautiful eye and soul ravishing spectacle of eternity. And I'll finish with this. This is so relevant. This is so relevant. It's amazing. Well, it is, it is to me. I hope it is to you. Like a smartphone screen made blank by the rays of direct sunlight, sunshine. One day we shall see Christ's face. On that day, all the vain spectacles of this world of illusions and all the pixelated idols of our age will finally and forever dissolve away in the radiance of his splendour. Utterly amazing. I don't want to say any more. I just want to leave you with that and leave it up while we... um, while we break bread. And when Julie spoke that she was uh, leading the meeting and, and I was speaking, and she asked it, what you're speaking on, and then she said to inform me that the children were in. And I says, great, so what? You know, the children are in throughout the whole service. There's no Sunday school. So they're being for communion. And we discussed that. She said, what do you, your thoughts? And I said, well, my thoughts are if a child is regenerate, has been born again, has made that decision, no matter how long that young that child is, they can break bread. In my mind, they can. I don't know what the Baptist's um, union says about that. But in my mind, if that person is born again, then they're born again. But I do think as well, and this is for us as well as for children, if you're not born again, If you're not saved, if the cross doesn't mean for you what it means for, I hope, most Christians, all Christians, 
then we shouldn't be taking it. It warns us in the Bible not to take the bread and the wine unworthily. And I think that's just meaning you're not thinking about it. You're not doing it right. You are just, it's just become rote. We just come here, we break bread, we drink a bit of Ribena or whatever it is, and we go away. Well, we are sadly missing the point. And God is not pleased when we do things like that. It is a sacrament, as baptism is. It's a sacrament. We've not got many. I know some churches of certain Orthodox religions, the Catholic Church, they have loads of sacraments. uh, But we only have a few. But breaking the bread, communion is one and baptism is the other. And they are important. They're important because of that last image, of that last spectacle. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hallelujah. Jesus is victorious. He's won. He's done it. And he is that spectacle I hope we'll all We'll all look at, look towards, search it out, find it, read, read, read the word. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that, um, you've allowed me to bring your word, Lord. I thank you for Tony Ranky, Lord. And I pray that people will read his book and go deeper and deeper and deeper into understanding what the world can offer and what you can offer. And help us realize that in those times of competing spectacles, We have that choice, Lord. We can choose what we set before our our eyes, Lord. We can choose worthless things. Or we can choose things that build us up and grow us and make us into better people.